Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another installment of Honor Kings and Sons TV. This is your host, Darian Jones, owner and founder of Honor Kings and Sons TV. And I'm so excited to have you guys here with me on this beautiful Wednesday morning, January 25th, 2023. I am so blessed. The, the new year has been so good to me. I'm thankful for those who have invested in me, those who have spoken life over me. And I truly just want to say to all the people that view my podcast, thank you so much for supporting. Uh, for those of you, this is your first time tuning in. Uh, I hope that you enjoy what I share. There are ways for you to help support the podcast. You'll see it in the links provided. And you can do so so that we can continue to have good content out in the airways. So let's kick it off today. I want to talk about something that's been going on for a very long time, probably before even I was born, and that is the subject of church being a business. Is the church a business? Was it ever intended to operate and run like a business? And to continue the subject of poverty uh, with church people and those who are connected to religious institutions, uh, is it something that has to do with it being uh, race? Does race have to play a part in it? Does it have to do with the person, their character? Is it their inability to manage? What really is the issue that we're seeing with people who devote themselves to church but financially do not prosper, as well as seeing um, people who serve the church, leaders, pastors, and there was a season when they barely used to get by. Now it's a season where if you're a pastor, you're financially thriving. If you're a singer, any type of minister, and you serve in the gospel, you seem to be financially thriving, or you very much are financially thriving, and your church looks stellar. Every service looks like we're watching the Super Bowl versus 30, 40 years ago. Everything was looking kind of mediocre, rundown. Um, not up to date, not as modern. What is this? What's going on with church and and just how it's being presented to the general public today? So we want to talk about that. And one of the thing I love about the topics I bring up is that they, there's so many different angles that you could cover. Sorry, there's so many things that you could talk about. I actually love when my conversations are open ended because it allows people to pour in questions, pour in their 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 life story their testimony about how they relate to the subject. So I kind of like this mode when I can just get feedback from all different angles. But for sure, we are talking about, you know, um, the presence of poverty um, in the church and um, how uh, things have changed, how the gap has changed. Um, back in the day, the pastor probably was struggling just like the members were. Now you got some pastors driving in Bentley, BMWs, G5 wagons, buying private jets, and their their members are still struggling with a 9 to 5. So let's get into it. So I can tell you this, that, you know, I'm 32 years old. I pretty much have been in church since I was born, born straight into it. And one thing that I've noticed is there's a culture that I've seen around a church when it comes to people who are the average Joes, people who are middle class, families that are struggling, and then people who are well off. 
um, I would say when I was younger, definitely there was a different atmosphere and a different culture. Number one, I'm young, so I don't even know that adults are struggling with bills or who has what and all of that. You know, you're just a kid. You're happy to go to church, play with your friends and things like that. I would say I saw more happy families when I was younger. The church I grew up in, there was a lot more more kids around, a lot, a lot of more family-oriented activities and things of that nature. And as I got older, I don't ever really remember when I can say I heard, like, the first prosperity gospel or that that gospel or type of gospel, as people have been saying it, creep into the church. I can't honestly say that I remember when, but I do remember who, if, and if obviously if you're somebody who's from Florida, every, every single Floridian knows what I'm talking about, which was the Georgia boom. We're talking about from 2000 to 2005, you had the famous Georgia boom where a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people were leaving Florida to move to Georgia. And I would say it even stretched to about 2006, 2007-ish. You had a lot of people that were leaving Florida. Georgia was booming. Uh, You had big houses. You had houses, um, four, five, six bedroom, uh, probably uh, five, six acres, for like under $200,000 or even less than that, you had, um, you know, high paying jobs. So a lot of families who were financially stable in Florida, a lot of them went to Georgia during that time period. So I would say by the time I started middle school, I remember my church was like dwindling and, and the 300 plus members we used to see every Sunday dropped to like 150. You know, and I'm pretty sure we had more members than that because I remember some families having up to five kids. Um, and a lot of people used to bring their, their, their cousins and grandkids. So the, the church, I can tell it was thriving. But as I got older, I started to see less and less people. And of course, you know, maybe those less and less people because as you get older, you start to learn about people's attitude, people's, you know, intentions and you start to learn how people do things in church they shouldn't do and things like that. So that could play a part in it. But sticking to the financial side and uh, and uh, the gap between the haves and the have-nots, <clears throat> I would say that I started to see, um, I really started to see um, the actual gap. Because obviously if a person can move, that means they have the money to do so. So the families that remained, I started to pay attention to, you know, um, who who was able to do certain things, who was able to not to uh, do certain things. I paid attention to the cars. I paid attention to how the kids dress. I paid attention to the type of birthdays that they talked about um, they were having. I paid attention to how many times they went out of town per year. And, you know, um, my family was, was decent. As far as like, you know, we didn't have everything we wanted. Uh, we also didn't have the lights turning off every month. So I would say we, we were, we was, you know, we was decent. We was decent. We couldn't complain, but uh, we definitely were not going out of town three times a year. Definitely weren't seeing a new car and we definitely weren't having lavish birthday parties. So long story short, you know, as I got older, I started to see. And then once I got into ministry and I started 
because my church I grew up in, there were more adults in ministry than there were young people. The ministry I'm a part of now, um, King Jesus Universal, literally 90% of the church is between 19 and 40. And most churches wish they had that amount of young people within that age group who were actively serving. So when I grew up in ministry, I dealt with tons of adults, um, a lot of conversations that I fully didn't understand, but now I look back, I understood them clearly. You know, you hear talks about money um, to do certain events. You hear talks about debts that the church has to pay or bills that the church has to pay. You hear about building funds. You hear about projects. You hear about buying land. You hear about expanding. And one of the things that I started to notice was that when I started to hear more of those conversations, because I was a very zealous young man, I was like, man, why are people focused on this? People should be focused on God. People should be focused on evangelizing. People should be focused on bringing new people into the church. People should focus on growing spiritually so that we could see people get delivered. So I was very much, you know, that evangelical that like, I was like, man, we don't need money. We don't need this and that. We just need to focus on God for the most part. That's, that was my mindset up until, and I'm going to be dead honest. That was my mindset up until probably 21, 22 years old. So I had got, I, I remember giving my life to the Lord at 10 years old. And then I remember very strongly from 13. That means I, I was fully aware of what I was doing what I was committing my time to, I remember from 13 to about, yeah, because I didn't transition from my ministry until I was 25, 26 years old. So from 13 to 26, I gave my entire life to that narrative, evangelism, growing spiritually, um, helping people get delivered, helping people serve God, meeting people's needs with no knowledge no background, no training, no mentorship, no class in financial literacy, no nothing. You know, my mother was a hardworking mother. My dad was an easygoing guy. You know, if you put you if you put all the information they gave me and packaged it into financial literacy, you literally could probably fill three pages. That's just keeping it real. It wasn't much that they said about financial literacy like I'm learning now and like I'm discovering right now. So when I look uh, back and I take what I know now about business, entrepreneurship, what I know about saving, what I know about credit cards, what I know about investing, what I know about building networks and partnerships, what I, what I know about business ethics, character, all these different things, when I take that and I filter it back into when I was young in the Lord serving, I, <laughs> I'm not conflicted, but I'm like, I'm a, I, some days I find myself upset. I, I, I really am distraught at how the community of the church for some time now has changed drastically simply because of lack of knowledge in the financial world. You know, there, there, there are so many avenues that you can take on this when you talk about church almost 30 years ago uh, financially and church now. I, 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 there's, there's a lot of points that I would love to make 
there was a, there's a lot of conversations I would love to have with people of the gospel who've been in the faith 30 plus years. They probably were a part of a thriving church and that church isn't thriving or that church has always not been thriving financially, but you know, they're still zealous and on fire for the Lord. And then the new era, the new generation of ministries where it's like they got a four or five million dollar, maybe $20 million budget. And every time they upload a clip of their service, it looks like a full scale music video. And half the people in the congregation who are under 40 years old are driving Maseratis, Teslas, McLarens, you know, you name it. it it's a whole nother generation. And I feel like a lot of times the the elders, uh, the, the elders that are existing in this generation, I feel like sometimes uh, they let their passion and their fire that they've carried for years cloud their ability to analyze and allow themselves to take on the role of a mentor, right? To help this generation still keep a perspective to what obey Christ, live holy, things like that while thriving financially. Unfortunately, there are some other factors you have to take into consideration. It's very hard to tell a young person between the ages of 18 and 40 who's financially stable and finds themselves committed to church. It's very hard to tell them how to handle their money when it when it comes to them serving God and financially thriving. It's very, it's already hard to tell a young person what to do with their money and they not saved. So how much more when they are saved? Because most young people that are involved in church now, a lot of their pastors do taxes. A lot of their pastors have 401ks. A lot of their pastors have businesses and rental properties. So it's a whole nother wave. You know, I I actually like this generation of church because why? The Bible says that money answereth all things. So you have to understand that when there is a circulation, a a generation of income that's coming into the church that can help the church meet more needs and get more problems taken care of quickly, it it does eliminate the, the stress, the frustration, the headaches, and the fights of hopelessness and and anxiety that the former church used to have. You know, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of pastors that spent more time praying for a financial breakthrough back in the back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s than there are now. You know, do they love God less? I, I, I don't think so, because I feel like now there are parts of the Bible that are being opened up and being interpreted and being understood so that we can truly see the kingdom of God manifested as we believe it to be on earth. And, you know, as I study the word and as I've sat under ministers from all over the world, there's one thing I'm starting to see, and that is that God really is big on management. God really has established a lot of principles that stem from a financial and a legal origin um, because, what, he's just, and another thing, too, he's faithful, right? And the Bible says if he owns all the cattle on the hills and the earth is his and the fullness thereof, then you have to understand you're talking about, it's as if you're talking to a businessman who has property, who has assets, 
who has investments, and what do you expect that person to do? Manage, right? If there was no management happening on the earth, then all currency would be squandered. It wouldn't be able to be calculated, valued correctly, all of these type of things. So somebody has to come into a place where they start to manage. They start to know how to deal with assets. They start to know how to deal with sums of money, donations, grants, accumulated funds, uh, accounts. There has to come a point where there's somebody who's good at managing that in order for things to run smoothly. I, I hear a lot of the, the, the ministers, you know, from back in the day or the, the faithful members from back in the day, and they make the comments about how the church is about money and the, the pastor coming up in a, in, a, in a Range Rover and his daughters all got Audis and the wife drive a, a Bentley and all these different things. But, you know, I, I want to throw out some stuff. This is something I, I know. A lot of ministers back in the day, a lot of ministers back in the day were not good managers of money. They loved the Lord. They got saved. Not good managers. They gave it away to everybody. Anybody asked for something, they gave it away. And they didn't even do it on principle. So if you study scripture, you will learn that there's ways you can give away money to those who need it based on principle. Meaning that what? You have your bread, you have your seed. All right, your seed, you don't give away because your seed brings you more bread. Your bread, you break it with whom you break it with, you bless it. So you have to understand that there's, there's, there's certain principles that a lot of ministers did not do correctly. Therefore, their ministry didn't grow. They kept the same 50 to 100 members for 40-something years. And the old people tell them what to do because the old people, their lives been in that church. So it's like, it's their house. You, you can't tell them what to do. So it gets to the point where the church doesn't thrive. One, you don't have young people to take over the, the vision of the church. Two, there's nobody financially literate to stabilize what money that does come in. And three, everybody wants to control something. Everybody wants to have a say. So some of these things that start to happen in ministries destroy the ministry. Now, there are some people from back in the day that knew how to handle money. And this is one of the stereotypes you'll hear. Oh, well, he used to run the streets. So he always had a, a, had a way to handle money. That's not true. Not every person who got saved back in the day was a pimp, was a, was a, was a drug dealer, was a, was a scammer, you know what I'm saying, was a, was a hustler. That's not true. There's some attorneys who got saved back in the day. There's some people who worked for J.P. Morgan that got saved back in the day. There's some people who used to be car salesmen that got saved back in the day. And when they took what God gave them, they gave it to the Lord as, an, as a sacrifice. Then the Lord turned it around and made that their gift to bless the church. That ministry is thriving still to this day. And what they've done is they've passed on financial literacy to the young men and women in their church. So now those young men and women don't have to call and say, Pastor, I can't, I can't sing this Sunday. I got to work overtime. Or, Pastor, I can't play the organ. I got to work overtime. Or, Pastor, I can't lead Monday night prayer because, you know, I took two weeks off because I was sick. Now I got to go make that money back. Or, Pastor, I bought my mama an expensive gift. She really wanted it, but it broke the bank. So you won't see me for a couple of months. I got to go work it to pay it back. You don't get those responses as much anymore today in and Christianity, and also it's a strategy that that 
um, if you study the, the Bible, you understand that God has always put his people around those who had access to wealth and influence. The devil, you know, as we believe, there might be people tuning in and, of course, me expressing my faith-based knowledge. There's certain things they, they just won't agree with. So I believe that the devil is real, yes. So um, for those people tuning in, the devil carbon copies God, right? The Bible says that the devil is our adversary. So don't believe Hollywood. The devil and God are not equal. They do not go toe-to-toe. The, the Bible says that the Bible shows us in the book of Job that the enemy has to ask permission to do anything to anybody. So don't, don't get it twisted. They are not on the same level. So you have to understand when you listen to the devil, I mean, not when you listen to, when you look to see what he does, he carbon copies everything that God does. So even in the realm of money, economy, influence, what happens, he carbon copies. So if you look at the enemy, what does he, what does he focus on? He focuses on influence. So the music industry, the media, the world of media, he makes sure he, 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 he takes over that to what pump every agenda that he has, the kingdom of darkness. But if you pay attention to God, um, um, he's really carby carbon copying what God is doing because God always puts his people near those who have great influence, near those who have great wealth. The Bible says the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. And that's a whole nother conversation, uh, how that would tie into this conversation. But I say that to say this, that God strategically makes sure that man's connected to resources so that his kingdom can be built. So there's always been there's always been that that argument, that debate, and that conversation. Why are Christians taking certain careers? Why are Christians taking certain jobs? Why are Christians in places that a lot of believers believe they should not be? They should be able to be in a sanctified, holy corner and draw all people. Why? Because the Bible says they're a beacon of light. But let's just get to the bottom of this. And this is this is going based off of the word. This isn't going based off of even what I've been taught. We always we know the story of Joseph and how he was second in command to Egypt. He's not the only person in the Bible that that had extreme influence or was put in a place of, of extreme influence. You have many, 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 many others that were put in extreme influence. If you look at Jesus, the Bible says and Luke 7, uh, I think it's verse 32 or 34, it says that the Pharisees were screaming out, look at him, he's with the wine-bibbers, the publicans, and the sinners. But you're not understanding, if you, if you study Jesus' ministry, Jesus made sure that he kept influence with what? The people who had access to the resources in the city. He made sure he kept that. If you pay attention to all the prophets in the Old Testament, they were connected to who? The people in the palace, right? Whether it was the, the kingdom of the city they were living in or another province where they had another kingdom, they were connected. If you look to Esther, Mordecai had favor, right? Everybody knew him in the courtyard. Nobody messed with him. It was only Haman that didn't like him, right? So God always makes sure that he keeps his people connected to what resources, 
okay? One thing I learned is that God will bless you, but it will always be through a man. So if he blesses you directly, he's pretty much deposit, depositing in you the measure of faith to believe that you have received what he's going to give you through a man. So he's not going to come out the sky, crack the sky, and something's going to fall into your hand. That's Hollywood. Anytime he blesses you, it's going to be through a man. So it's very important that Christians understand that the first thing you need is the grace to go into the different sectors of the world that has influence and resources, and then you need to let your light shine. Do I, I agree with a lot of ministers that a lot of young people and a lot of people in this generation of you know preaching the gospel and expanding the kingdom, that a lot of them go into these places without the grace of God. They don't let nobody lay hands on them. They don't go into prayer. They just go places, right? And what happens is you now are the one that gets influenced. Your light gets dim, and now you get destroyed. So you should wait. You should go into prayer and fasting with your church. You should have a mentor. You should have a cell group leader or, or a pastor or some minister in your local body who's mentoring you, praying for you, and then puts that blessing on you to now go into the beauty industry, go into the music industry, go into the service industry, go into the um, the engineering or sales tech field, go into these different dimensions so that you could be impactful. But if you don't, if you go with no covering, then you you leave yourself wide open. So I I I I understand, you know, all the principles and everything that people are throwing into the conversation. And and I and I and I fully agree with with many, you know, when it comes to with going to these different places because there's a lot of activity going on nowadays. There's so many documentaries being released on Hollywood and the music industry. People are finally finally saying it's time to expose this place because too many people their lives have been destroyed. So I agree, I agree. There's a lot going on, so we should make sure. That, that we are careful. But to say but to say that we shouldn't go at all, that's a problem. Because to be, to be honest with you, and I think it's 2023, so we really need to, you know, address this question. My question is, do you really think you're a Christian, you work at a Christian bookstore, that you are going to influence people who go to Coachella? You are not going to influence none of those people who go to Coachella. If you work in a Christian bookstore, if the only place that you see people and socialize is church Sunday, Sunday to Sunday, you are not influencing anybody. Your light is not shining. If you only go to places where there's already light, what does what does your light mean? Your light means nothing. Why? Because it doesn't stand out. You must go to a place of darkness. You it's how it works. So some people say, well, I already go to school, so that's where, you know, my light shines. Well, if you're in the library and everybody's in the courtyard, you know, at a festival, how are you making your light shine? So sometimes even believers, they're psych we psych ourselves out because we, we, we say that we are shining our light, but who is turning around? Who is running to you? And I would say that for, for ministers— who talk about how church is today. I understand there are some, and I'm not going to say ministers' names. We go on YouTube, you know, you, you there's some ones that is blatant that they just robbing people. They just, 
they they really making it their business to to live off the church. So I'm not going to sit here and say minister's name. But what I'm going to tell you is this. For my my minister of the faith, my 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 wonderful man and woman of God who's been serving the Lord faithfully 40, 30, 40, 50 years. I want to ask you this question. How do you think your ministry is going to remain for the next 20 years if your congregation is between the ages of 40 and 75? None of the children of your members help in the ministry as far as evangelism, as far as putting on uh, nice programs, are, are in the community, are bringing their friends to church. The only person who's financially literate in the church is the church treasurer and secretary. How are you going to make your ministry survive the next 20 years? And let's not even talk about those churches who they hold the same position. That's a whole other conversation within itself, but that's detrimental. You had the same moderator since 1940. Your choir has on the same robes with the same choir director. Your organ player has been there, and he marched with Dr. Martin Luther King. Come on now. If, 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 we, if that's where we are, then I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. That, that ministry don't got that many years left, and it's just on principle. It's, it's a series of principles that, that, we, that we as the body have ignored on so many sides of the faith. So talking about poverty, talking about, you know, the, the new generation of, of the, of the haves and have-nots and how the gap is in a, has a totally different mar, mar, margin, what I want us to understand is that for the simple fact that we have thousands of churches that are open, that are financially stable, we should actually want to partner with those ministries. And we should actually want to what? Find a way that we can capitalize on 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 where we are in the city, right? Uh, I'm gonna be honest with you. There was a minister one time. He says, "I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna tell you the truth. Rich pastors do not hang with broke pastors." And I was at first I was offended. I'm, I mean I'm not a pastor, but what I'm saying is I was offended because I'm like, dang, we brothers in Christ, we supposed to be fellowshipping. But I took the time to think, and I said, I see why. Because a businessman or a person of wealth, you're not going to see with a poor person. Not because they think that that person is beneath them because they're poor, but their mentality. So if you have a pastor that's, that, that he pray all, this, all, all the time for money, but he mismanages it. Or he doesn't know how to expand his thinking. Or every time he has money, he gives it away to all his members. And he goes out into the street, and if he comes upon five thousand dollars, he just he just finds a way to give it to the poor. That 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 man of wealth cannot do anything. As a matter of fact, if that man so much as shake hands with that with that pastor, he could potentially be 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 becoming a covenant brother to a spirit that's going to drain his wealth. And that's just the truth of the matter. So I understand. I understood completely when that when that minister told me that rich pastors don't hang around broke pastors. So now it takes the humility of a broke pastor to say, "Listen, I suck with money. Um, I, I I've run out all my resources. Do you have a course, or do you have a class that you took?" And it doesn't have to be ran by a spiritual organization. 
there are a lot of up and coming people on YouTube and online that have courses that help people get financially literate. And you read their testimonial column. A lot of them are people from religious institutions, uh, institutions, tongue tie. And, and, and I hate how we tackle churches as far as Christianity. No, there are some Catholics that struggle too. There are some Muslims, some Buddhists, some Hindu, some, some Taoists, some, um, you name it. You name, listen, people who do witchcraft struggle with money. Uh, Satan worshipers, there's some of them that, you know, they out there, you know, following Satan, but they can't keep a dime. Because why? Who you believe in has nothing to do with your character. But your character says everything about who you believe in and if it's worth somebody else believing in them. And that's the truth. We live in a generation that people say, okay, I'll serve your God if I can really see what he's doing to your life, you know, tangibly. And, and, and when I say tangibly, meaning results. That, that's all I'm saying. Uh, I, I mean, if I, if I saw a person, all right, and a person decided to serve my God because he saw a member get a brand new Mercedes, I would stop that person to have a conversation with them and say, listen, my, you know, God is not a genie. This ain't no, you get saved and then tomorrow you're driving a Tesla. It, it doesn't work like that. But if the person saw the process of the person who believed for that car and they saw the process of how God dealt with them, and they say, you know what, this is what I need for my life, this is where I'm going, then I'll be like, all right, cool, my brother, welcome to the kingdom. But we have to really address this. This is a, a dangerous issue. Dangerous, dangerous issue. I remember there were young people when I was in college who were protesting modern church development. Why? Because we did not grow up like that. You know, like, let me tell you, I'll be honest with you. The I was not taught financial literacy by nobody in my church, my, my church I grew up in. I was not. And everybody knew my family structure and situation. Nobody said, you know what, let me, let me you know, uh, teach you X, Y, and Z. Will I say that they covered the basics and it was part, it was a conversation? I will say that. So I would say that there were, there were conversations where it was mentioned, but very basic. It was not, oh, we're going to go into credit cards. We're going to go into assets. We're going to go into investment portfolios. We're going to go into getting an LLC, 401k. No, it was a one-time thing, never done again. Because it was not our culture. It was simply those who have and those who don't. So these are some of the things that, you know, um, has been going on, I know, in the Christian circle. So if you're tuning in and you're a Catholic, you're you're a Buddhist, you're a Muslim, you know, I would love to know, um, or if you're Jewish, I would love to know what what type of conversations are had when it comes to money, financial literacy, and the betterment of your faith and the people that are in your faith-based group. How do you guys help each other out? What's the culture like when it, when it comes to money? Because I know what's going on in in our circle of Christianity. It's, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow that you have Christians who love the Lord, are filled with the Holy Ghost, prophesying, winning people to the Lord, 
but they're financially stable. They can pretty much afford to pay half the bills in the church. And there's a lot of people that don't like the fact that, you know, when those people are in, in ministry and, and doing things for the church, that it looks, it looks so stellar. It looks like an award show. It looks like a Netflix TV show for certain ministries. Why is that? You know, is, is, are people taking advantage and turning God's house into a production studio? What is that? We, we really got to get to the bottom of this because I don't feel like that. I feel that because there is more use, there is more good use being made of the knowledge that was not focused on in the former time, which is financial literacy and teaching people to manage and budget. I feel like now we have a better presentation of the church. And remember, the church is supposed to go from glory to glory. So if we knew from the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, the church was always struggling, and now the church is in a place where it's financially thriving, we should give God praise for that. Why? Because knowledge has increased, knowledge is being put to good use, and it's an opportunity to help more people in a better way. But who am I? So I want to have a conversation with, with, with any, any and everybody. Uh, there's many ways you can follow me at Haywire007 on Instagram. That's my personal. You can send me messages at my, my podcast Instagram, which is at Honor Kings and Sons. Um, you can send me messages at the merch site. Well, no, we're not going to go to the merch site for that. But you can check out the merch uh, Instagram, which is at HKS underscore apparel. And let's continue these conversations. I would love for you guys to continue to tune in, share the podcast, and support. This is for today's episode. My time is cut short. Got to get ready to go take care of some more things. But I appreciate you guys. I would love to get a response. Thank you so much. God bless you. And I can't wait to see you next time on another installment of Honor Kings and Sons TV. Guys, take care. God bless.